Hello and welcome to the Flowerpot podcast about the work of the National Botanic Garden of Wales. My name is Bruce Langridge. My guest today is my colleague who I share an office with, uh, Paul Smith. Hi Paul. Good afternoon Bruce, how are you doing? I'm good. And Paul is our Head of Education. Now in previous podcasts we kind of flirted a little bit with education. We spoke to Sarah Williams, uh, we spoke to Elle and uh, a few other people have done little bits and bobs. But Paul is in charge of everything. So today, we've known each other for, well, worked together for about five years. Five years. Actually, it's five years, two weeks' time. Now, a lot of things that Paul does, I've got really, I don't really know what you're up to half the time. So <laughs> today's going to be a good exploration for me as much as it is for you. So I just thought I'd like to kick off the, um, the podcast today and just get you to tell me about yourself, Paul. Uh, what did you do before you got here? Okay, yeah, well... Um... Before I was here, I was teaching. So if we go back to nineteen early 1990s, I was in Manchester for the summer of love and did my <laughs> chemistry degree there um, and uh, finished in 1992 and couldn't get a job. So I became a teacher because they were offering a bit of cash to become a chemistry teacher. So I became a chemistry teacher, then worked in Bradford for four years and then went abroad, went to live in Qatar for a few years and then went to Turkey for a while, um, spent some time in Africa and Syria. Then after that, in 2001, I think, 2002, I came back to the UK to live in Devon, and I was head of science at a um, special school in Devon for boys who'd been excluded from everywhere in Devon and Cornwall. And after a few years of that, I decided for a change of scenery, so I came to Wales, and I was doing supply teaching. Um, that dried up. It became sort of agency work, which wasn't so good. Um, so then I diversified a bit and I got a job running a youth hostel up in Clandicent. Um, and at the same time, I started a bike business. And in 2017, I saw this job and was offered the job. So in January 2017, just about five years ago, I started working here. And Paul, so that's, in five years, I think... What you've done here has changed quite a lot, and we'll go into that later on. But first of all, can you tell me about the team that you've got around you, just so people kind of get a bit of a perspective there? Yeah, we're, education's a really small team. Um, considering the amount of sort of clout we have in terms of the team, so there's me, and I'm full-time, and we've got Rebecca, who's a teacher, and she's part-time, and she works for GTF, she works on the farm, she's a shepherdess, and she's also a fantastic teacher. And we've also got Ellen Morgan, who uh, works on the desk, so if you contact education, that's your first point of call. And we occasionally have Kay, who's been here, for, how long's Kay been here? Um, no, as long as me so <coughs> a long, long time. time so Kay also handles some of the calls coming in and we also work with supply teachers um, so we've got a bank of teachers who generally are retired teachers and they love working here and apart from that as well which we'll go into as well you you deal with preschool and that involves someone else that's heavy as well isn't it yeah we we um Rebecca who I mentioned just now when I was first here, I was running a programme called Welly Wednesday, which was for preschool children, um, members' children, and that's been taken on by Ellie. So every Wednesday, she runs Ellie Welly Wednesday, as we call her, <laughs> and it's amazingly successful, and they're out in the landscape, having sort of cooking around open fires and doing all kinds of activities. That's been going on for a little, quite probably three or four years now, is it? I think it was running before I started, I think. So it's lovely. So we've probably got some of the preschool children from that 
Probably returning with primary schools now, maybe. Maybe even secondary schools, if it's been long enough. Ooh. We don't know. <laughs> okay. But it's always lovely. You kind of get pretty guaranteed every Wednesday morning to hear a whole load of like either clapping or singing or chuckling or, or, or branches being moved around and games being played down by our Aquilab woods or by our ferry woods. Yeah, and some of them are lovely. The one I'd like is uh, making paint out of molehills and they put up big sheets and they turn the mud into paint and then just paint things on these big sheets hanging up, which is really nice because molehills are a good texture. They're nice mud. And don't they make mud cakes down there? Yeah, they do. There's a mud kitchen. They do pond dipping as well. There's there's all kinds of things going on down there. Um, because, and they do pond dipping because you're also uh, kind of in charge of the classrooms here. Which has got a bit confusing over COVID, hasn't it? Because we've not had schools coming in. But the uh, but you're in charge of the Aqualab building, which is the big grey building as you come in from the visitor entrance. And that's where you do the pond dipping, isn't it, all around there? Yeah. So, so and obviously we work together because if we've got other groups in, then we say, oh, Ellie, you can't do pond dipping today because we've got a school going. But, yeah, we work around it. And, yeah, it's as, Ellie's imagination drives that. It's whatever she wants to do. Well, this conversation sort of going in my mind here a little bit and looking through the age groups, because uh, we're starting with the preschoolers. And I know uh, throughout our time here, we've, we've worked with people of all ages, and you continue in, in many ways to work with people of all ages. Uh, but tell me, what, what is the main thing that you do at the moment, Paul? Because COVID has really changed a little bit about the way you've been working yeah, when, when I came here in 2017, the, the uh, education business was, was totally, I would say, totally primary schools with a few odds and ends of a, occasional secondaries or universities or whatever coming in. But it was virtual primary. And that stopped dead in March 2020. Overnight, our business just dried up. Um, and we had always worked with the home education community because um, I know from experience there's very little science and maths delivery for home ed families and we'd been running lessons for them so when Covid hit Welsh Assembly funded the local councils to engage with children who deregistered from schools or out of school or home educated EHE we call it elective home education and so we work with Carmarthen Council now and we're delivering their science, their maths, their English, their biology, chemistry, physics and their Welsh lessons and art lessons as well with Oriel Merthyn. And this has taken off massively and now it's what we do most of the time. And as from January, we're also working with Neathport Talbot, hopefully Ceredigion and Swansea as well. So it's, it's taken off hugely, which is good because at the moment the schools just aren't coming out. We've got very few school visits. Which is due to COVID, I presume. Totally due to COVID because the situation's so up in the air. I think a lot of schools don't want to commit themselves to trips when they know it might well be cancelled. So <laughs> just kind of impressed people that even during COVID, you can still walk around the garden of a day and hear kids I call them kids, children, pupils, whatever. Learners. Learners. <laughs> uh, sort of like laughing again or, or, or just being active and doing things. And that's been really great because I came out, I went for a walk with you one day. And I think there were four different age groups from all, I couldn't keep up where the heck we were all from, all doing things all around the garden. But it's great. They're all in little groups, weren't they? So it's all COVID secure and all that. But you still managed to pull every, all these people in. Yeah, and it... It is nice because one of the issues with primary schools, the way that 
that developed was they would come for their once a year visit. So you didn't build a long-term engagement with the school. They'd come out, do an educational activity or have a visit or do something, and then you wouldn't see them again for another year. With the home education ones, the families are coming in sometimes four times a week, and it's the same children. So you're actually getting to know them in the same way that you would in a school situation. And part of the response to the home education community is we're going to become an exam centre. Because when COVID hit, a lot of home educated children were ready to take exams in the summer and they got bumped out of the exam centres because of COVID issues. So we couldn't do anything then, but in the long term, that's one of the things we're going to offer. And that'll be for everyone who wants to take exams as external candidates. Now we're going to get onto a little bit of what we learn here in a, in a little while. But if I'm just sort of kind of working my way th- through the sort of age groups here, I mean, hopefully when COVID sort of dies down, Will you be offering to primary schools what you did before? Yeah, that's all there ready to run. And we're developing some new activities because um, one of the advantages of COVID, it gave us time to to stop and reassess what we're offering because we were offering programmes that had been written maybe 10 years before and they hadn't changed because the schools were coming in for the same programmes. And it's let us use some of the research work done in the gardens to actually rewrite things and change things and do something new especially with new welsh curriculum so some of it has been based on the research work i presume you've spoken to have you spoken to laura um, yes laura jones dr laura jones we did her okay uh, dr laura jones we've got yeah. a load of her data which we now use for primary school delivery we've actually delivered that to preschool children as well so it's putting some of the science work in context of the work done here and then then sort of sending out to a wider audience so we'd really like these programmes to be taken up by primary schools, but obviously we haven't had a chance to run them properly because of COVID. No. So we're still waiting, um, and they're really exciting, and I'm looking forward to them. Now, as, as a garden, and all the time I've been here, I know uh, the gardens kind of struggle a little bit to, to entice in uh, comprehensive uh, sort of school-age kids. And that, presumably that's always been a big issue for any sort of venue like ours anywhere else. Is that right? Yeah, the, the, the problem specifically for secondary schools, if you take them out for a science day, then they're going to miss their maths or their English or their Welsh or whatever else other, other options they're taking. So it's quite difficult to get them out. Um, but we are managing, we're going into some of the schools, some of the local secondary schools, we're delivering horticulture, we're doing some, some of, they call it problem-based learning, which is for the new Welsh curriculum. It's looking at outdoor education type things, but in a secondary setting. And we also work with the um, special needs units that are attached to the schools or the behavioural behavioral units um, where we can offer something that the schools can't. So we're working with some of the units where the children are, are there because of behavioural issues. And when they come to the garden, it's, it's a totally different situation. They've got a lot more space. They're doing something different. They don't have the pressure of being in a classroom. And it works. And those schools come out regularly. Right. But I've noticed as well, you have been going into schools, haven't you? Um, yeah. One day a week or something. And, you, and that's you're developing courses through that, is that right? Yeah. And a lot of the time, you develop a course or we develop courses and you don't know until you deliver it 
whether it's really any good or not. So you've got to trial it somewhere. So often we use these these settings or these different groups to trial something, get them to feedback. So we don't charge them for the initial bit. We'll just go out, try it out, see how it goes, get feedback, and then sort of make it perfect, hopefully. And it builds the um, it builds a relationship with the pupils because often it takes quite a while with those groups to get a good relationship. And once once you're there and they're happy who you are and what you do, then fine, you can experiment. Right. And as we go through the age groups, uh, or let's get stick to academia here, uh, we have we obviously have our industrial year placements come and we've got two students this year, Aileen and Gabriel with us. But we also uh, we also have universities come and visit us, don't we? Yeah, um and it's interesting because my yeah, my speciality, my my ability, what what I do well is teaching. That's my job. Yeah. And a lot of the universities, we had the um, University of Cardiff Biosciences group in recently, and I took them on a tour, which I normally do with primary schools, because for a lot of the, a lot of people come to the Botanic Gardens, they don't actually know what a Botanic Garden is. So we've developed this activity called Plant Zoo, which looks at the Botanic Garden in the context of it being a zoo, but a zoo for plants, where you group the plants by habitat, by uh, region, by type, or whether you eat them, which is a petting zoo. Mm. And so we, we interpret the gardens that way. And it was really good fun with the uh, students. These are undergraduate students. And some of them have been here before, and it was a new take on what we are. So it's nice that we have these activities that can be delivered across the age range. Yeah, I think uh, particularly with uh, uh, university students, letting them know what a botanic garden is, yeah, that's what I enjoy. Like, I went on an Erasmus course in Italy, and that was um, science communication. And it, it's interesting because a lot of the time it's difficult. If you're, if you're researching something, it's often difficult to find the way to put it across to someone who doesn't understand what you're actually researching. Yeah. And that's what I find I can do. That's what I enjoy doing is, is taking this information, which I, you know, I do not always understand myself, but put it in a way that other people get their heads around what's going on. Yeah, we're all a bit jealous of your trip to Italy, Paul. Well, you went to Portugal. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so beyond that, uh, before COVID, you support on adult education courses as well. That's through yourself and through the Grow in the Future. And that's had to come to an end, hasn't it, as well, I think, just through COVID? Yeah, it, it's always been a, a bit of a struggle here because we are so rural that we don't have... We don't have a vast amount of people around us who are going to come onto courses and pay for them. Hmm. Um, and it's always been a struggle to get the right course for the right amount of people in the right place at the right time to make it viable. And, we, and there are certain people who, who manage this really, really well. Um, there was Laura with the silversmithing, absolutely fantastic, always full and really popular. There was uh, Mel doing willow weaving, especially at Christmas, making willow reindeers and the like. And that was always full. And actually, any visitors to the Botanic Garden now, if you go to the stable block, they'll see a horse made out of willow, which is made up by Mel Bastier. Bastier. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that she had made that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so these courses came to a halt in March 2020. Um, and we've worked with Growing the Future to try and work out other courses, but it's been difficult because it's been so stop-start. And 
a lot of the people who either deliver the courses or take part in the courses are shielding or not a bit wary about going out these days. So. You've done a bit of Zooming, haven't you? But that's probably not as satisfying, is it, doing um, Zoom training? No, Zoom was good fun. We, we did this with a lot of families um, during lockdown and we found a way to make it work. So when we first went into lockdown, GTF paid for some GoPros. And that's growing the future, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was fantastic because we started off using phones and um, you can tell if you look at the early YouTube videos, videos are a bit ropey and then I got the editing software and we started making films and what we started doing was we'd because the families couldn't come in we'd send out a shopping list and we'd say right to this week we're going to do chemistry and on the Tuesday we'd send out a list saying here's what you need for the Thursday lesson and we'd make a film they wouldn't know what they were going to do with the stuff they bought, but we called it Little Science. Other supermarkets are available. <laughs> and then it would be stuff that's easy to get hold of and cheap. Then on Thursday morning, a YouTube video would release and they could get the lesson about what they were supposed to do with the things that they'd bought. And then we'd run a Zoom session in the afternoon where we'd actually talk about the what they'd learned, what they'd actually done. And a good thing with that was that the YouTube video was just available. So if they couldn't attend then, if they couldn't make it on the Thursday, they couldn't buy the equipment or whatever it was, they could do that at any time. And that was really successful. That worked really well. And if we need to, we can switch back onto that for the home education lessons, which might happen in January. Okay. And in addition to that, which is, might not be directly linked to you, but there are also online courses made about keeping chickens, am I right? Yeah, yeah. I know Rebecca's <laughs> done a few of these, um, and I haven't seen all of them, but there's quite a good random selection of courses on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been stuff about beekeeping as well, so there's an awful lot of yeah. stuff there. Now, in addition to all of that as well, Paul, if we go slightly out of the academic side... Uh, you've been doing some, I think, amazing, really quite uh, beautiful work with people who've got brain injuries here. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, that came up a few years. It must be three, two, three years it's been working. And it came out a bit oddly. One of the schools I used to work in with, I used to cycle into work with one of the art teachers. And obviously I got to know his family a bit. And it turns out his wife is a, I think, neuropsychologist or neurophysiologist. But she works for a local health board. And they had a group of adults with severe brain injuries. So it could be physical injuries. It could be through illness or viral infections or a random selection of things. But every one of the clients had issues to do with brain functioning so some of it was memory loss some of it was extreme fatigue some of it was coordination sometimes it was all three of them and the age range was from I think the youngest was a late teenager who'd been very active and had had an infection and basically the end uh, he, he wasn't happy at all in his situation up to some quite elderly people who've maybe had strokes or similar and we bought them in originally, and it was a collaboration with Swans, which is part of the charitable outcomes of Swansea uh, Football Club. And they were doing rehab type exercises and sort of um, cooking, so sort of healthy, healthy lifestyle stuff. And it's gradually morphed into a gardening group. Um, which is lovely. So we used some funding that we had to sort of effectively create a garden, and. They come in and they're absolutely brilliant. And one of the best ones, the the young man who came in, he was really not in a good place. And we went to his presentation when he moved on to the next group and he's living a complete new life. He's a football coach now 
and he's doing, I think, undergraduate qualification at Swansea now. Well, that's been lovely. I mean, that group's known as the Live Well Growers. And if you go onto the Botanic Gardens website, uh, you can see a whole series of blogs by the Live Well Growers uh, because the, I don't know what the right word is, patients who have written about their experience of just coming here, doing a little bit of gardening and saying how much it's been good for them. It's really amazing, I think. Yeah, some of it's absolutely lovely. And and, and the, the issue that some of the clients, patients have is that their their disability isn't visible um and there's one one gentleman there and you talk to him and see him around and about and and you wouldn't actually know there's anything wrong with him but his his mem his long his short-term memory is completely gone and after about five minutes he just doesn't remember what happened five minutes ago which is really sad and one of the really nice things with the group is he came up to me one day and just went paul because eventually, after meeting him for maybe a year, it had lodged in, it got in there. And and with the teacher, Amy, who works with them, uh, one of our teachers, it's lovely because he'll go round at the start of the session, Amy, Paul, and he'll name all the names that have got lodged in him, in his head, which is lovely. <laughs> and he annoys the facilities teams. He plays guitar as well, very loudly. <laughs> <laughs> and he can still remember how to play songs. You give him a guitar oh, yeah. and it just, it's just the muscle memory is just there. Yeah. So he can sing songs, and which is absolutely fantastic. But he, yeah, but he doesn't know where he was 10 minutes ago. So Well, you also, um, you've been running a summer school as well. Is that right? Yeah, originally it was uh, funded and the idea was to take children, um, because a lot of the time parents really struggled to get to get childcare in the summer and it was to bring children into the gardens and to make it affordable as well. And that was stunning. It was, I think, I think they were running for 10 hours a day and you know, all power to the staff because it was it was two women running it generally. And they kept it going. Um, and there would be quite a lot of staff of children there as well. Uh, children children of staff, not staff of children. Right. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it was lovely. But again, that's something else that COVID put paid to. But we had a continuation in a way that um, we work with the council, Commandmentshire Council, delivering what's called a SHEP project, which was summer holidays education program but we called it summer holidays eating program because it was about have food it was children on free school meals would be invited on and that ran for two years where we do days for these families who low-income families identified by the council or yeah all kinds of different criteria and it was lovely we'd make sure they got enough food on the day we'd run activities for the whole day for them and that ran this summer with a programme called Summer of Fun, which was, I think, part of COVID recovery from Welsh Assembly. And now we're doing the Winter of Fun, which is um, passes for families to come into the gardens as well. And we've put food vouchers in there as well. We've actually put two golden tickets in there. A few? They've paid for... The golden the, ticket? Yeah, the council um, basically paid for passes for, I think it's 50 families. So... I was talking to the director and I said, look, we we can put in here a couple of golden tickets and the families don't actually know what it is that they're going to get. So I'm sort of breaking news. <laughs> um, but what we're going to do is pay for all the food for the day for those two families. So within two of the two of the envelopes, there's just a slip of paper with my name and number on it saying, ring me because they don't know what the pro- they don't know what it is. 
and it'll be so when they come in they get all their food is paid for wow so you're taking their all the Willy Wonka yeah I am oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely um, which is really nice because again like we yeah recognise a lot of those families when they do come to places like Botanic Gardens or similar venues they can't afford to eat there mm. um because you know catering these days isn't cheap and if you've got a family then yeah. it just doesn't happen so so we thought that'd be quite good fun do you know the more i talk to you paul i'm more sort of why my brain's going out remembering all these things you've been up to you've also done a lot of work with scout groups haven't you i mean and i know particularly because i've seen you doing the astronomy nights here and then you've also had lots of scouts staying overnight is always linked to starlight yeah, the, the uh, I suppose that predates me working here. Um, when when I ran the youth hostel, because the youth hostel's in the Dark Skies area, it's up near Clinavan Back, the Lady of the Lake Lake, and the uh, Brecon Beacons National Park were running astronomy nights. So I started running astronomy nights, and I got funding for a load of telescopes through the Institute of Physics. And the first night I ran an astronomy night as an amateur astronomer, um, we had two guys turned up who I think had worked for NASA um, who corrected me. And every time I said anything, they were like, no, you're wrong. It's this. <laughs> um, and that led into me doing work for the University of South Wales, the Pontypridd campus, um, where it's running a program called Astro Cymru which was to do with meteorites and mass extinctions and 3D cinema and all kinds of bits and pieces. And when I came here, I bought that programme to the Botanic Gardens, along with all the telescopes. So all the telescopes are here. And we were running stargazing. And on those nights, we often got um, groups of scouts or guides or brownies, non-uniform groups, they're often called. Mm -hmm. um, and they would come over and do a sleepover in the glasshouse. And because it is February and November, it tended to be a bit chilly. And originally, the, the limit, I think, was 15 were allowed to sleep over at a time. There were a lot of limits put on numbers at the Botanic Gardens for some reason. And... The glass house, is, as you know, is absolutely massive. So I asked, what, what is the legal limit for people being in here? And it's multiple hundreds is the legal limit. Obviously, with COVID, it's slightly different. So we started getting bigger and bigger groups of brownies and guides and scouts and sea scouts and random variety of groups coming in until eventually we did a huge brownies thinking day in February. They have a day called thinking day where they think about things. And we had upwards of 300 brownies sleeping in the great glass house. All thinking. thinking. I don't know what they thought about. I they thought it's cold. Um, and that was really good fun. And we ran a disco. We had a cinema. Um, we had a burger van that tripped out every single power plug we put it in. So it meant they didn't get dinner till really late. We found the one plug, it didn't trip out. Um, and I slept up in the science department to be the emergency contact. Um, and it was good fun. It was it was really entertaining. And, you know, having hundreds and hundreds of young people and all their carers who come here for free, which I can't get my head around. They spend their night getting frozen stiff, sitting in the glass, <laughs> sleeping on a floor. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I love all that. And I, actually, I, I came, I've been to your uh, astronomy nights or stargazing nights or something. Yeah, stargazing, yeah. Because you also had, what was the woman who was the space ambassador for Wales? I mean, she came with some very crazy sort of graphics once. There was, was it Helen? Uh, there was Emma Ride. Emma Ride is Astro Cymru. It's a business now. And that was part of the University of South Wales who 
were part of how I got into doing astronomy outreach. And she brings, is it the 3D cinema, you think? The 3D right? cinema, yeah. Yeah, where you've got Sean Bean talking about big <laughs> things and small things and taking on a trip through the universe, which is it's really cool. Um, and the rocket making kits, which... You know, some people don't like my rockets in the gardens because you've always you've come with the rocket. When you first came here, you were you were projecting things at vast speed across rooms, weren't you? Yeah, and they're great fun. <laughs> they're, they're 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 recycled paper rockets, and we've had I think the record is eighty two meters in the air or something <laughs> ludicrous, <laughs> and uh, just powered by a bicycle pump. So yeah, they're good. Well, whilst you've been here, Paul, as well, I can see your kind of enthusiasm, knowledge of plants, and all that has increased. And part of that is because you, uh, probably like me, you need to talk to all sorts of different people around the garden. And, you know, we all get to know the horticultural staff and we kind of learn from them because they observe so much. And uh, so you, do you want to say about some of the sort of the new sort of things you've got, you found yourself learning about yourself? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm the first to admit that uh, I, I was a chemistry and physics teacher in secondary school. So my level of horticulture was limited to what you need to teach for biology GCSE. Um, and that was it. And since I've been here, you know, I'm more than willing to sort of embrace new stuff. And one of the ones we're doing at the moment is Carl, who's one of the horticulturalists, looks after the growing the plants that are in the great glass house. And a lot of those plants need smoke to germinate. It's like the grass tree that you see in Western Australia. Is that the one with the little micey things on it? The, the honey possums. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, so, so they need smoke to germinate because, as I understand it, they will often germinate after a fire swept through. So there's very little competition. So it's in the interest of the plants to germinate quickly. So um, as far as I understand it, Carl buys these little discs that cost £10 each that are in, sort of impregnated with smoke and you soak, the, soak them in water and that, that helps the seeds to germinate. And working with uh, Dr McGinn, Kevin McGinn, and... Matthew in the Great Glass Matthew House, Bryant. Alex Summers as well, yeah. we put together a machine that would generate smoky water. Um, so what I've done now, it's actually in the lab next door, we've got a series of lettuce seeds, because lettuce is a Mediterranean herb, which would benefit from having smoke near it to help it germinate. And what we've found is the 6.25% smoke solution has caused really fast germination of lettuce seeds. And this is something that we're playing with to take it out to schools because I didn't know about this before which means that great majority of school teachers won't know about it and it's an experiment we can create within a primary school and it generates really fantastic data as well so because you've given things a go as well I mean even um we had a conversation a couple of years ago about plant families as well which is something really important you know when you get into gardening or you get to botany just learning that plants are sort of related to each other and they come in different families, kind of handy thing to know. But you suddenly got right into that, I noticed. Yeah, that one's really interesting because this is part of the plant zoo idea that we delivered to the um, university students was that a lot of those students don't know anything about different plant families. So we took the interpretation that you've done, Bruce, in the double wall garden, yeah. and we use that as the basis for how to identify 10 different plant families and to look at them. So we're putting this together now for a new qualification that we're building into horticulture. So it's level one, which is about GCSE level. And part of that is to identify these 10 families. 
Um, so there's the mint family, the pea family. I'm not giving it the proper names here. Mint family, pea family, grasses, um, magnolias, orchids, geranium. No, yeah. orchids aren't in that group. Oh, right, fair enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, orchids yeah. aren't in that. They're okay. too complicated. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got these 10 families that all have distinctive characteristics. So what we look at is like the rose family and the geranium family both have five petals on the flowers. So if you find something with five petals, and it could be rose, it could be geranium, and if you look at the shape of the leaf, like the rose family tend to have oval sort of leaves with serrated edges, whereas the geranium leaves are a little more it's softer, it's hairy, and it smells. Right. So if you then look, right, you've got five petals on the flower, what does the leaf look like and feel like? It gives you a good guide, and it might not be perfect, there might be other families that do that, but at least it gives you an idea of what kind of families plants could belong to. Yeah, I really like that because it's 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 opening up a, a fascinating world. I know, I mean, I've I've been into botany for 30, 40 years, and the but I never used to really look at fam, plant families myself. And it's only once you get to know them, you suddenly think, why didn't I learn this years ago? That you know, even those things which come out of the leaf uh, come out of the earth with one seed leaf, they come in parts with threes. Just that's yeah. just amazing, isn't it? Well, it's nice because it, it, it does the maths bit as well, because if you look at something with six petals on it, then it's it's a multiple of three, which means it's a monocot. Yeah, that's right. And there's that little bit of what's a monocot where it grows with one leaf. And it's part of all these families of plants that grow with one leaf. It's part of that bigger family. So it's mm-hmm. nice. It puts things into a structure. And you also done uh, food miles, which has come directly from uh, Dr. Laura Jones's research. Yeah, that's lovely um, because we were working with um, something called Simpson's Biodiversity Index, which is an A-level practical where you look at how biodiverse an area is and you do a bit of math. You count the plants in a square and do the maths and it gives you a number between zero and one and it wasn't very exciting. So we got Dr. Jones's uh, research and she's got a load of data about the nectar content of every single flower in Wales and assuming nectar is sucrose, which is sugar, which it pretty much is, and knowing that bees take 4.2 joules per kilometre to fly, we could then convert the nectar content of an average flower, say a dandelion, to how far that would power a bee. So we call it bee miles, because bee kilometres doesn't sound as good. <laughs> um, and it's things like a daisy flower powers a bee 3 metres, 2 centimetres, and a dandelion at the top of my head is about 90 metres. <laughs> and Himalayan, That's nuts, isn't it? Oh, Himalayan balsam is some colossal 26 kilometres or something. <laughs> Which is why the bees love it so much. Uh, so yeah, and that's something that we deliver to primary schools. Now, if um, someone came to you, Paul, now and said, "Do you do uh, a course on blah blah blah, whatever it might be?" Are you going to go? Just going to go? No, we don't. Slam the phone down. Or are you going to go? What, what, what do you normally do when people come to you with new ideas like that? Um, it depends what it is. And if, if we can deliver it, then yeah, I'd like to deliver it. Because if one person rings up with need, then there's going to be more than them sitting there thinking, I'd like to learn about this. Um, and then it'll be, how can we do this? How can we deliver it? And we are a small team, so often it's roping in other people who might know a bit more about it. And yeah, yeah that's always good fun because... Um, people on the academic side are often a bit wary about going and doing the teaching side of it. And people on the horticulture side are horticulturists, but their level of knowledge means that they, to me, they should be in there doing some teaching as well. Because, yeah, I'm not a horticulturist, and I'd much rather someone who knows what they're talking about 
does that rather than me, who yeah. does it wrong occasionally. Are you one of those people, though, Paul, who are quite happy to say, I don't know? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, definitely. It's a real um, skill, that is, I think. Yeah. yeah, did you interview Thomas, the student? I did, yeah. Right, Thomas, the student. He, he Thomas was, McBride. Yeah. yeah, he was telling me how much I didn't know because he knew massive <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was a brainy lad, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he knew his plants. So, yeah, Thomas McBride taught me a huge amount. <laughs> so looking to the future, Paul, how do you, how do you think you would see uh, the education service here in about five years' time? Um, more teachers, yeah. more classrooms because what we're constrained by is just numbers we we don't have enough teachers with the specialist knowledge to deliver what we need um, and we don't have the teaching space to accommodate them then when we have those sort of boxes ticked it means that we can then help the schools to deliver their curriculum because we have a lot of knowledge and built in our team that it would be really good for the schools to to know that stuff or or be able to come directly to us to upskill themselves because at the end of the day it is difficult for a school to get here they have to pay for public transport and there's a carbon footprint of sticking 90-odd kids on coaches and driving them all the way here. So it's much better. A lot of this stuff, they can deliver it in the schools. But the problem with the schools in terms of the horticulture especially is the teachers don't have time and often the skill set to, to maintain an area in the school. So it's that more integrated So they can build them, they can dig up an allotment, but unless they know what to carry on doing that allotment can look awful very quickly. Yeah, often you find the school gets a bit of funding to develop raised beds. Yeah. And the teacher who's really enthusiastic who heads up that funding bed moves somewhere else and it turns into a raised bed of jungle. Right, okay. Um, and there's a lot of schools have the same situation. So one of the things that we've been exploring is having horticulturalist teachers here who can go around schools. And the schools have to pay for the service because we have to pay the wages. Yeah, very But that important. would be yeah. really useful for the schools as well. Okay. Any other thoughts for five years' time? Yeah. Um, we STEM education, which is science, technology, engineering, maths, is what part of our core mission. And I, we, we're on the way, but... And I would like the National Botanic Garden of Wales to be the leading STEM centre, education centre in, in Wales. Um, oh, right. Which I think is possible. Yeah, we've, we've, got the, we've got the garden, we've got the skills, we've got the staff. Yeah. So that would be absolutely stunning. That would be my personal goal there. And I know in the past, you, I mean, uh, we've got laboratories here and you've had, um, was it Swansea University came here? Yeah, it's uni the University of South Wales, Trinity St David, <laughs> yeah. um, and they were running their PGCE here um, for their secondary teachers, which was great because we were able to access those trainee teachers and take them out into the landscape and do outdoor education with them and science outdoors. Um, we also had... Oh, Trinity St David's B.Ed. primary school teachers coming in and we were doing outdoor education and science education with them as well. And all of this has stopped over COVID, completely right. got knocked on the head. Yeah. Well, I suppose another lesson for the next five years is that change to curriculum, you just got to be really sort of um, boxing clever, haven't you, about how you deal with all that? Yeah, the new curriculum's an interesting one. And we've changed all of our programs to fit in with new curriculum and 
a lot of it is making the child at the centre of learning. So it's inquiry-based learning where they'll actually come out and want to find something out or drive the drive the lesson sort of to some degree. So if you're in a school setting, then it is how can they use their school setting to drive inquiry-based learning driven by the, the pupils that are in that school, which isn't always easy to do because mm. it's a complete change around for teachers who for years and years have been told, well, you're in charge, you deliver to the children. So it's in it's at the start. We, you know, we don't know where it's going to go. This this is particularly uh, relevant to Wales as opposed to England, is that right? Yeah, Wales and Scotland have both had um, a guy called Donaldson who did a review of education and has driven this different different style of education. So maybe anyone listening to this podcast who thinks in any way they might want to work with you in the future, maybe bring their school group or community group to you, or even can maybe work with us, maybe they might be a Welsh speaker who knows about chemistry and astronomy and whatever, just get in touch with you. Yeah. And how does it do that, Paul? Um, you can come through education at gardenofwales.org.uk or ring up the reception desk or ring ring me up on 01558667154, which is my work number. Yeah. Um, yeah, and or send me an email. It's paul.smith at gardenofwales.org.uk. Okay, I hope you all got that written down there. You can... yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Paul. That's been really, really interesting. I've learned a bit myself there. Oh, thank you, Bruce. Okay. Yeah.